You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Hey everybody, today is a special episode of The Breakdown where we're actually taking all of the audio from The Breakdown Live, which is the weekly live video show that we do on Twitch. We're taking all of that audio from two hours of conversations where I take a deep dive into the case of Breonna Taylor. I do an interview with Charles Booker, who lives in Louisville, which is where Breonna Taylor was killed, but Charles is running for the United States Senate. Uh, for the Democratic nomination to take on and defeat Mitch McConnell. And then I have a special interview with over a dozen different essential workers that I want you to hear. So listen, if you are an avid listener of the Breakdown podcast, you can still listen and follow along. But if you go right now to twitch.tv slash the breakdown, you can watch the entire video in full over two hours of me taking that deep dive into the case and so much more. We want you to watch it live every Friday with us. We see thousands of you doing that already. Also, if you want to underwrite the cost and and support what we're doing for The Breakdown and The Breakdown Live, you can go right now to patreon.com slash The Breakdown. But here's the audio. Enjoy it. Check it out. But also, when you get a chance, watch the video. The, the, The Breakdown. I I told you all last Friday that and it, it it breaks my heart thinking about this but that the family of Maude Aubrey had been reaching out to me and their attorney now Lee Merritt they had been reaching out to us for weeks before they finally got our attention and it wasn't that we don't care um There was just so much going on. Ahmad was killed in the weeks before the uh, before the pandemic. And Ahmad had been killed and had had been gone for almost six weeks by the time I really understood what was going on. And the same is true on some level with Brianna, that she was killed all the way back on March 13th. And we look at let me see. Today is today's May 15th. And so her case is now national and international news, but it took almost two months, not only not just for her family to get my attention, but it took two months for us to make sure that this is a national news story. And behind the scenes, me and my team, we are building something called the Grassroots Law Project. How many of you have seen us talk about the Grassroots Law Project? Just comment here. Part of why we're building the Grassroots Law Project is to process the concerns and the challenges and the issues of police brutality or white supremacist violence or wrongful convictions, 
Because right now, as it stands, I get hundreds of emails. On an average day, I'll see people say, like, Sean, I've been commenting on your post all the time. On an average day across all of my social media, I may have 25,000, 35,000, 50,000 comments. And so it's so much information that with the Grassroots Law Project that we're building, we're building it out such that people will be able to submit cases, concerns, and issues and they'll be able to be processed properly. It took almost two months for us to fully understand what happened to Breonna Taylor, to fully understand the magnitude of the case. The family, of course, just like Ahmaud Aubrey's family, the family had been speaking out. Local organizers and activists in Louisville had been speaking out. But we have something weird, and I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. We have something weird now that it appears it sometimes takes me speaking out, and it shouldn't be that way. It takes Lee speaking out or attorney Ben Crump, who is one of the attorneys, one of the several attorneys now for Brianna's family. It's as if one of five or 10 of us don't speak out. These cases don't build momentum. And I'll be faithful over that, uh, that privilege of being able to give a case the notoriety it deserves, but it shouldn't take me or someone with a large following for a family to really get the justice that they need. So I want to spend a few minutes explaining what happened, and I'll take some of your questions during this segment. So if you have them, you may want to hold. I'll tell you when I take questions. That way your question doesn't just get lost in the, in the mix. But I really want to break the case all the way down. I have some things I want to show you as well, okay? And I'm going to see if you can see this. All right, hold on here. There we go. Can you see that image? Let me make sure you can see it because I want to break some things down for you. Tell me if you can see, you see me in the corner and you see a screen there with Brianna. Good, 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 good. Uh, first, I want to give a major shout out to our creative director who designed this beautiful collage of Brianna that we're using everywhere um, Brianna's mother, Tamika, told me that her favorite colors were, were purple and blue. And so that's why we have those purple and blue bursts. Um, you know, all of us have the favorite things that we just gravitate to, and those were her two favorite colors. If you see this image on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, we want you to use it because we think it shows Brianna in all different facets of her life, from, from work to fun to dressed up and ready to go. And there's a part of me that's frustrated. I want to start here. There's a real part of me that's frustrated that we have to do the work of humanizing somebody when they are the victims. She's the victim in this case. She's not a perpetrator. She was not a suspect. And I got to lean into that and break that all the way down because if you go back, if you Google... It'll be harder for you to find now, but before the case blew up and the family had finally gotten to me, when I started seeing the case, we started seeing that she was always called a suspect. And over and over again, I'm talking about a month after they murdered Brianna, they were calling her a suspect in all the local media outlets. And what the public didn't even get to know is that this woman was an essential worker, that she was literally 
on the front lines of fighting the coronavirus in Lexington, I mean, in Louisville, in Kentucky, serving as an EMT, doing phenomenal work. She was working for two different EMT companies, serving multiple hospitals all over Louisville. And her family was deeply afraid that Brianna would catch the coronavirus, of course, because she was dealing with patients every single day who had it. And the family's greatest fear during February, during those first few weeks of March, was that Brianna, who was a star in the family, um, Brianna's mother, Tamika, said something to me that that broke my heart. And I, I first spoke with her, uh, I think, at the beginning of this week. And she told me, she said, Sean, nobody is perfect. And she said, but Brianna was as close to perfect as a daughter could be, as a person could be. And Tamika, her mother, and I both struggled fighting back the tears because just the magnitude of the loss. My wife and I have five kids. And when you've poured 26 years of, and what I've learned, because now we have kids from kindergarten uh, I mean, from elementary school all the way through college, is they never stop being your kids. Like, they are your kids forever. And so when you've poured 26 years of effort and energy into raising somebody, it it broke her heart to see her child, who had done so much good and was an essential worker, called a suspect. I'm going to come back here because... While you're here, the most important thing that I want you to see is how you can fight for justice. Now, nobody's getting hacked. Somebody thought we were getting hacked. <laughs> no, we're not getting hacked. We're just managing multiple sounds. So, yeah, no, anybody who's here, we have another interview that's about to be ported in, and they just weren't muted. But now we, we're super secure, okay? Uh, so don't worry about that. It's stand with Bree, but with one E. Yeah, stand with Bree, but with one E. And here, when you sign this petition, uh, if you see, if you sign the petition, it's, a, it's what we call a super petition. And it sends an email out to over two dozen different people who can actually make a decision to give Brianna's family justice. If you make those phone calls, how many of you have signed the petition or made the call? If you've signed the petition, let me know. If you've made the phone calls, let us know. And here's the thing, that when you sign the petition, it's not just a database. It's, it looks so simple here, but our team at the Action Pack built a super petition that then emails out the police chief, the mayor, uh, 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 city council and county commissioner people and others. And so do that. But then when you make the phone calls, and we hope you make them today, I don't even care if you make them while you're watching. Um, if you if you make the phone call, the first voice that you hear is mine, and I'll talk you through it because it's difficult to to make these calls. I tell you what to say, and then I actually connect you to each and every office that you need to be connected to. All right. Let me tell you, and I'm going to take a deep dive now into the case. Let me show you first. These are the three officers who actually shot and killed Brianna. This is Officer Mattingly, um, uh, Officer Hankinson, 
and Officer Cosgrove. And it's funny that the police released these photos because they were very careful to release photos of all three of these men smiling. And I know uh, these men may have families as well, and they don't want their loved ones, their face all over the place. But let me tell you, all three of these men, all three of these officers, uh, Mattingly, Hankinson, and Cosgrove, all three of them have a history of police brutality. All three of them have a history of complaints. And while they look, you know, trim and clean cut and are smiling in these photos, these men, according to so many people all over Louisville and according to local police reports, these men were actually a part of a renegade force that was so unchecked that they basically felt like they could do whatever they wanted to do in the city So many people were harassed by these men and by the force that um, they are known in the city. And when they ever asked a judge or their supervisors for permission for a no-knock warrant, they just got it. And part of what you really haven't seen is their faces. I want you to just put some faces with this. Uh, We're looking for other images as well, because sometimes all we're able to do is we're not always able to fully hold somebody accountable the way we want. And it's like we at least want to make sure that you're known for what you've done. But I want to show you something now that um, most of us have not seen yet. This was aired uh, late last night on local news And I think I'm going to be able to make it where you can see this and hear it. Uh, This is, if you go to my Instagram now, you'll see that I posted yesterday that we just learned that so many shots were fired into the apartment from outside of the apartment with the blinds closed. Some of the shots into the apartment were literally fired through the exterior walls of the apartment. So many shots were fired. And the screen is paused. Yeah, I'm going to play it in just a second. Yeah, I got some critiques of Wave 3 in a second for those of you who see this. I'll, I'll give the critique. So many shots were fired that they found bullets not only all in shell casings, not only all over Brianna's apartment, They found bullets in the apartment to the left of them and bullets in the apartment to the right of them. It's a miracle that multiple people were not killed. In fact, Brianna's sister, who I've talked with now multiple times, uh, Brianna's sister, who's 20 years old, lived with Brianna in the front room, the front bedroom that was riddled with bullets And she literally just happened to not be there that night. Experts have already told us and told the family that Brianna's sister would no doubt have been uh, shot and killed had she actually been in that room. Wave three, this is wave three news. Um, They they have had a, a very bad mix of coverage. All of the local news outlets, in my opinion, have... This story is one of the stories that's decent, but they have been pretty overall pretty horrible in their coverage of this case. 
less than I'm saying this as an endorsement of wave three, I want you to see something and let me know if you can hear it too, okay? Hold on one second. This is a picture from the inside of one of the bedrooms in Brianna Taylor's home. The curtains are closed. You can see the holes made by bullets. Here's another picture. The block. Can you all hear that? You can hear it. I just want to make sure. Good. Lines also closed. Another picture from the outside shows this bullet hole. The back patio glass door also shot out. Reliable sources told me that one of the officers, Brent Hankison, had shot multiple rounds into the apartment blindly from the outside, corroborating this particular claim from Taylor's attorneys. It's okay. Let me let me go back and show Today, you. We broke the news about Hold the warrant on. at Brianna Taylor's home. And while we continue to investigate what happened inside of the apartment, I also took a look at what happened on the outside too. Two different scenarios. This is a picture from the Okay, right here, I just want you to see these were bullets shot through Brianna's apartment and through the curtains. Do you see this? I just want you to see these holes right here are where they literally shot through the house, through the exterior windows, through the curtains. I just want to make sure you see this bullet hole, bullet hole, bullet hole, another one, another one. The inside of one of the bedrooms in Brianna Taylor's home. The curtains are closed. You can. What are they now? What are they to think? They've committed no crime. Brianna Taylor committed no crime. Her boyfriend, Kenny, who uh, is his, Kenny's mother is from our hometown of Versailles in Kentucky. And I spoke to his mother, Kenny's mother yesterday. I spoke to Kenny's sister yesterday. I went to Morehouse. Kenny's sister went to Spelman. This is a great family. And just to be clear, Brianna's family loves Kenny. They had no idea what was going on. It was one in the morning. They were completely asleep. Let me show see you the holes made by bullets, the bullets Here's through the curtains another... here. And now this is in Brianna's sister's bedroom. Bullets fired through all the windows, through the blinds. They had no idea who was in there. They had no idea. Yeah. Somebody says something is they knew who wasn't in there. They knew it wasn't their neighbors. They knew it wasn't their family. And for any of you who, who listened to the audio podcast of the breakdown, this is what we call the policing of strangers, where police officers and sometimes even prosecutors, we talk about the prosecution of strangers. Police officers are willing to be violent and brutal in a way and reckless. What we're looking at here is reckless. Police officers are willing to be violent and brutal and reckless in a way that they never would be with their own neighbors, with their own family. What they understood right here what they understood was that we don't know who we're shooting at. We just know this is not our family and these are not our friends. So you see bullets through the curtains, bullets through the blinds. The blinds also closed. Look at it. Another picture from the outside shows this bullet hole. The back patio. The patio shot out. Bullets through the walls all over the place. What I know is that had these men been policing in their own neighborhood, they wouldn't have fired these bullets. They didn't know if babies were in that room. They didn't know if that was somebody's grandmother. And here's, and here's the real truth. When we talk about the war on drugs, 
there is no such thing as a war on drugs because dr- drug use has remained constant. There's not a war on drugs. There's a war on people. And the, and the thing they call the war on drugs is in particular a war on black and brown people and black and brown communities. There's no war on drugs. What we understand is that the war is on people and communities. And when they have these no-knock warrants, for any of you who are in the, the justice reform community that I'm in, we stand against no-knock warrants in general. There was no need. They were in the wrong apartment, in the wrong community, and the man they were looking for had already been arrested. Any suggestion or hint, and the police have now, as they see our case building momentum, police are now trying to suggest that Breonna Taylor was was caught up in some drug operation. No, she wasn't. Complete fabrication. It is shameful that they would even make that suggestion. She was an upstanding citizen. She had never been arrested. She had never she had no history of drug crimes or violent crimes or anything else. And for them to suggest it against her tells you just how far and how low they'll go. But what I know is they would not have fired those bullets into a home that they had that had people that they actually cared about. And what me and the attorneys and the family said is even if if Brianna and Kenneth, which they weren't, were running a full fledged drug operation, that they were just firing their guns through the windows and blinds and curtains is is so ridiculous that many of us just say you should ban no knock warrants in general. It was completely unnecessary. In fact, the men that they actually did arrest earlier that day, these were low-level drug offenses that these men committed. Like, it didn't require them in this militarized way, and that's what a lot of this is. Sometimes these officers are basically uh, doing cosplay where they, they are acting out their military fantasies, but they're doing it in black and brown communities. This operation wasn't necessary in general, Even if a drug operation had been in that house, this operation was not necessary at all. And some of it is the result of the militarization of police. That's what we saw. Let me show you. They then arrested and thank all of you who went and donated. And we have now increased. This is Kenneth Walker. Let me. uh, This is Kenneth here on the right. And Kenneth Walker is a great man. Shame on Wave 3 and the local police, local police and all the local news who keep showing mug shots of Kenneth. Kenneth is a victim. He is both a victim and a hero. Literally, Kenneth and Brianna were preparing to get, they were talking about marriage. This was the love of his life. And Brianna's family loved Kenny. They told me this. And in fact, when Kenny heard somebody barging into his home, guess who he called? And this is, the, this is the quagmire. This is the conflict that black people are in. Kenny called 911. Who do you call? Only, only to find out that the people that he thought maybe could help him in that moment were actually outside ready to kill him. Kenny then got arrested for attempted murder on a police officer because Kenny, who is a legal firearm owner, and again, I hate 
This is what we call respectability politics. I shouldn't even have to defend Kenny's character uh, or Kenny's family. They are great people. Kenny had a legally owned firearm, one of 350 million firearms all over this country. And we now see white men with firearms marching into the Michigan State Capitol, going into any store and business they want to. This man had a firearm in his home. And police are saying that Kenny shot a police officer, but we have now determined that where Kenny was would have made it impossible for Kenny to have shot that police officer. Police officer had a bullet that uh, grazed his leg. What we now believe is that in, in the hail of gunfire from his partners who were completely unloading their weapons into Brianna's apartment, that they hit their own partner. They shot him. Where Kenny was, Kenny could not have shot. In fact, Kenny could not even process. Kenny was so confused. There were bullets coming in literally through his bedroom window. There were bullets coming in in the living room, and he had no idea what was going on. Yesterday, thanks to many of you, if you've, if you've donated to Kenny, please uh, comment here. I just want to thank you. I, I'm grateful for each of you who donated. Yesterday, Kenny had about $20,000 in his legal defense fund. Since yesterday, uh, we have raised over $100,000 more. And what that means is that not only will Kenny have a top flight uh, a defense attorney, but he will be able to have a top flight legal team he will be able to hire and his family will be able to hire private investigators because we're not going to allow this man who one is completely devastated and brokenhearted the love of his life was murdered in their own home and they did nothing wrong and committed no crime and then not only is he having to deal with the devastation he is having to now face a criminal case it's outrageous and the local district attorney, and forget, you know, I know many of you are diehard Demo- Democrats and you get frustrated when I critique the Democratic Party. But in Kentucky, my mother voted for Governor Bashir. Governor Bashir, who's a great man who I've complimented. Governor Bashir didn't comment on this case until we made 20,000 phone calls to his office to get him to comment on this case. It was two months old before he commented. He had received almost 300,000 emails before he finally commented on this case. The mayor, Greg Fisher, has said nothing about this case until the public piled on. And even his statements that he's made have been horrible. The district attorney is also a Democrat. And and, and the district attorney, Tom Wine, just recused himself from the investigation into the police. Guess why? This is a Democrat. Because he said he is going to fully prosecute Kenneth Walker. He recused himself from the case against the police so that he could focus on prosecuting Kenny. When I learned that, that's when we decided to go ahead and raise that extra $100,000 for Kenny. So they're going to figure out and find out what it's like when a man like Kenny has a first-class legal team and the power of the people behind him. So thank all of you who've donated to this cause. They... The family has told me they feel like they have enough. You can still chip in if you want. 
Uh, we never even sent this to our email list. We just posted it on social media. But it's incredibly frustrating that when we vote Democrats into office, and I'm about to bring in my friend and brother Charles Booker. Charles, thank you for waiting patiently here, uh, who lives in Louisville, uh, who has family friends with the family of Brianna. And Louisville is... Louisville's not a uh, a city with tens with ten million people. Like people know each other, the community knows each other, and um, you know part of what frustrates me, and it's part of why Charles is running for the United States Senate, is even when we have Democrats in office in Louisville, the mayor, the district attorney, the governor, and they still fail to really represent us the way that we need to be represented. So um, we're going to continue to talk all about this case. Uh, I want you all to go. It's the most important request that I have for you. I want you all to go to standwithbree.com, sign the petition, make the calls, do it today, because those things will mean way more today than they will over the weekend. Call the number that we have there. Uh, The number is 502, and lock this number in your phone, 502 735-1784. It's a smart dialer. It's got 50 different people. Uh, Charles, I'm going to bring you in. Charles, we had your office on there for a little bit, (laughs) but uh, we we, we took you off and uh, uh, glad that you're here. In just a second, I'm going to bring up Charles Booker and we're going to also take some questions. All right. Charles, tell the people, man, who you are. Tell them what office you're running for. I'll, I'll take. I'll give some questions for you in a minute, but introduce yourself to everybody. Of course. Um, and first, John, I want to thank you for helping to elevate. Uh, Brianna Taylor and shining a light on our humanity. Um, that story um, is all too common uh, for a lot of us, and it animates why I'm stepping up in this way. Uh, I am a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a good troublemaker, and I'm currently the state representative for the 43rd district here in Kentucky, and I'm running for United States Senate, um, not simply to beat Mitch McConnell, but in this moment where we're talking about injustice, we're talking about structural inequity and challenges, we need leadership that can say with clear compassion, clear conviction that we need to end poverty and we need to end structural racism. Yeah. And to be able to run on such a, a platform in Kentucky means so much to me because it gives us a chance to shine a light on how we really feel in Kentucky. And we've been ignored. We've been abandoned. Our humanity has been robbed from us. Our identity has been dismissed. And this goes for all Kentuckians. And so this is a moment where we need a movement. And we have to elevate um, the voices of those like Brianna um, that deserve justice, that deserve to pursue and surpass their dreams. And I'm fighting for that. Well, man, I'm I'm so excited that you're running. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to step up and run for any political office. But I'm from Kentucky, and for as long as I can remember, 
Mitch McConnell has been doing a horrible job representing Kentucky. And some of it is that he is so disconnected from the needs of everyday people in Kentucky. And you and I have talked about this. Um, You've traveled all over the state, deep into Appalachia and seen people whose jobs have been lost, white folk, anybody all over the state who no longer really feel like they have somebody who represents them in Mitch. Um, Tell us about what it's meant to campaign during the pandemic and and the impact that that's had on your ability to campaign and and what pivots you might have to make. Absolutely. And, and I, I think you framed it up the right way. Um, Mr. McConnell was elected two weeks after I was born. And so this man has literally been screwing us my entire life. Yep. And um, he is a unifying factor right now because no matter where you go in the Commonwealth, he's screwing you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what your skin is or how much money you have in your pocket unless you're a big corporation, he doesn't give a damn about you. And, you know, so our message has really been focused on people and meeting them where they are and breaking down barriers to democracy and saying that you need to be heard and accounted for no matter what you look like, what zip code you come from, how much money you have, what you believe, what pronoun you use, whether you walk or in a wheelchair. And this pandemic is really um, as tough as it's been. And I'm a type 1 diabetic, uh, and I, you know, a lot of Kentuckians suffer from health challenges and you know, deficiencies. And of course, as a black man, understanding the disproportionate impacts um, of not only this pandemic, but of issues generationally because of structural racism and inequity, um, it has particularly affected my community. But what it is doing is shining a light on the fact that we have to do the work of investing in people in elevating the needs of families because we were already hanging on by a thread before this pandemic. And now the bottom's falling out for folks. And so our adjustment is really just to keep leaning into the work we were already doing, relational organizing, helping people get the tools to be leaders for change where they are, even if they're on the couch. And it's inspiring a lot of people to get involved that never have before, which is exactly why we're going to beat Mitch McConnell. And I'm proud to be a part of it. Man, how can people find basic ways to support you? Because I see even here in the comments, uh, people are connecting with what you're saying. And in some ways, we've grown so used to politicians seeming so different than the rest of us that it's, it's, it's surprising for people and even shocking to hear somebody who sounds like they actually understand their concerns. Where can people go to learn more about you and support you? And, and what are some practical things that people could do to support your campaign? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we built this campaign specifically for people. Um, I, I believe big picture, we, we need a movement not only to beat Mitch McConnell, but to win local state office, mm-hmm. school board, help folks feeling elevated and empowered in their own communities to be with for change because we got to be the archivists. And, and on my website, bookerforkentucky.com, we've actually created a lot of tools for folks to be organizers wherever they are. So you don't have to come within the four walls of a campaign or feel like you're a part of a formal uh, bureaucracy. You can lead and organize the way you want, how you want, and we're going to give you the tools. And, and that's why the response has been so incredible. And, you know, man, I'm really just telling my story. Yep. You know, I'm a, I'm a man from, from the hood. Yep. Uh, I grew up in what is the poorest zip code in Kentucky. And, yep. and that's one of those unifying bonds with Appalachia that people don't realize that 
folks in communities. Now, I'm from Louisville. Louisville's been one of the most segregated cities in the country. Uh, we got a lot of challenges that are unique, but the similarities we have, especially in communities like mine, to rural parts of Kentucky, are exactly why we need to stand together. And, and, and we're busting through those barriers to prove that truth. Man, you are in Louisville now. You're, you're in Louisville as we speak, right? Yeah, I am. And uh, the city is dealing with a police murder that took place two months ago. And you told me that you've learned that you actually have several connections to the family. And that's just kind of people in Louisville are connected in all different in all over Kentucky are connected in a lot of different type of ways. Can you tell us about just that personal connection, but then give us your thoughts on the case and even what's happening with Kenny, who was the boyfriend of Breonna Taylor and I don't, you might not have gotten to hear me, but part of my frustration, Charles, is that it's a, it's a Democratic mayor, a Democratic district attorney, the Commonwealth attorney, and still the family has gotten so little movement. Uh, tell us your thoughts on the case and what you think has to happen next. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, thank you for using your platform for us. Um, this, this hit home for me, one, because I carry a lot of trauma. This is not a story that's new. Um, you know, where I'm from, like we've seen drug raids. We sit on the porch and see law enforcement rush into a home and we know those people. And and it is traumatic. And over the past four years, I've had cousins murdered each year. And uh, my cousin TJ, who was a part of what was called the Misidentified Four, uh, which I know that you've uh, uh, elevated as well, um, ended up becoming a, a champion for pretrial reform, of criminal justice reform, how we deal with witnesses, how we uh, deal with our youth and the incarceration. And he got a big settlement from the city because of how he was falsely accused and arrested and put in jail and denied the chance to graduate and lost his job because of his identity. And he was close friends with Brianna. And I, I recognized her her face and her name, but I didn't, it didn't land home to me until I spoke with her mom that when I was at that funeral for my cousin TJ, she was there too. Mm. Um, Seeing how her life was snatched away from her made me feel like I lost TJ all over again. Yeah. And so many of us carry that type of trauma, which is why we're all justifiably frustrated and angry and demanding that justice see our humanity too. And and that even speaks uh, to Kenneth. And I I think this opportunity for us to outline and identify these structural challenges at a moment where you have folks that are storming Capitol buildings with their firearms in hand saying, I want to protect my liberty. Right. We We can unpack that all along. But when you step back and say, for everyone that's saying you want to protect your liberty, liberty, how does it feel to know that law enforcement can kick your door in while you're in the bed, mm. kill you, and then arrest the person that you love who was trying to protect you in the home? Right. I mean, this, this touches every aspect of why we need structural change, and it affects all Kentuckians and all people. And, uh, you know, I spoke on the House floor about this last year. I didn't know this moment was going to happen. But then again, I did, and I was yelling, yeah, my life matters, too. My yeah. life matters, too. They, I remember. They cut my mic off, yelled at me to sit down. And, you know, I was saying that out of 
a, a, a sense of fury and pain and anguish for everyone who was being told their life does not matter. Mm. That's why we need leadership right now. And it's not a partisan thing. Structural racism, structural inequity does not care about party. And we need to all come together and shine a light on this and demand justice for all people. Charles, before we go, what are the clear things that you are calling to happen in this case and uh, I, I just want you to have the final word on that. I saw a letter that you wrote, but what are you calling for as the representative there in Louisville, as somebody who is connected to this family? What are you calling for specifically with this case? Yeah, well, well first, and, and as you correctly said, I sent a letter to the attorney, um, young black man who was in uh, school with me, someone I know, and I know that he should understand the historical responsibility um, to address uh, cases like this in particular. Um, but we need um, a, a neutral, um, transparent investigation so that the community can have trust that their voices are being heard and they're being accounted for. And at this moment, our local leadership need a lot of work uh, to gain that trust. And that's why I do applaud the mayor. I spoke with him yesterday in saying that, yes, there should be a special uh, prosecutor that's investigating it. Now, my concerns with the local leadership um, inform a lot of what I also want to see. We should already be having citizen review of police shootings. Law enforcement should not be investigating itself for the act that it has. Uh, we know what that typically And I think at a federal level, which is where I call out Mitch McConnell, we should already be pushing for a police system review um, at a national level. And that's something that you heard presidential discord. The DOJ has a responsibility here. We know this stuff is not happenstance, and Mitch McConnell could care less about it. So I'm going to be on full court press here. Um, we're going to be looking at no-knock um, entry. That is a concern. Um, and then we want to make sure we hold accountability uh, for the system that's supposed to be protecting us. Well, brother, we appreciate you, man. Thank you for, for tuning in. Hope to have you back. Uh, hope this isn't the only time that you're here, man. But good to see you. Good to hear your voice. Tell the people one more time where they can check everything out. You can lock arms with us at BookerForKentucky.com. We're building a movement. We got a real shot to win this race and this primary stand up for the people. We're not pro-Trump Democrats. We're firing up regular folks that are ready for change. We're going to kick me out. That's right, brother. Appreciate you, man. Take care. Yes, sir. Much love. Cool, everybody. Sorry for the technical difficulties we had there. We're learning. We're learning. I'm learning. So um, glad that you all got to hear. Got to hear from Charles. He's one of my favorite people running for office anywhere in the country. I don't think there's anybody like him. He's an everyday person. Uh, he is the state representative right now in his district in Louisville, where he was born and raised. And we need somebody like Charles in the Senate. And uh, he is still running in the Democratic primary. So please check him out. Listen, there is a special group of people that I want to bring on next. I can't wait to show them to you. And they are in part why we created the breakdown, why we launched the company, the North Star. We created this platform to tell stories that aren't being told anywhere else. And it's wild that during this pandemic, uh, we we still rarely get to see and hear from essential workers. And 
we have a brand new segment that we're launching on this show where every Friday I'm going to speak with and interview and love on essential workers. I want to introduce them to you. Uh, we're going to show them love, show them love in the comments and uh, can't wait for you to see them. They are on the front lines all over the country doing special essential work in hospitals, at grocery stores, as delivery workers, but they're doing the actual work. They are the heroes of our country right now. This pandemic has affected so many people, including so many of you who are watching. But I just wanted you to get a chance to see and hear from people who are on the front lines. All right. So, so glad to see you. I know none of you can afford to take uh, time out of your day just to hang. But first and foremost, I just wanted to tell each of you, thank you. And uh, we're going to be doing this weekly. Um, we don't see enough essential workers on TV, on the news. Your stories just aren't being told. And I just want people to be able to put uh, faces to the stories that they hear. So many people Billions and billions of people all over the world are actually quarantined and uh, just wanted to take time for people to be able to see you and hear from you. So I'm going to go around and uh, after we check in, if you need to uh, bail out, if you need to get back to work, that's fine. But I'm going to go around and unmute some of you uh, one at a time so we can just talk to each other. Uh, just know uh, you have a way to get in touch with me now. Lissandra, who got us started, that's my assistant. You can always get in touch with me through her or if you have any other way, if anything you ever need, uh, please reach out. If there's a story that needs to be told or a way that I can support you in any way, let me know. We've got your back, all right? So let me see if I can go through here. Let me see. Sierra Dennis, let me unmute you, okay? Hey, Sierra, hold on one second. Let's see. Hey. Sierra, how are you? <laughs> Good to see you. I'm well. I'm well. I don't have my mask, Good. but I'm well. That's all right. Sierra, tell us where you are and what you do. I am in Geismar, Louisiana, and I am an Instacart delivery driver. Oh, thank you so much. You know, my, my family relies on Instacart in so many ways. And before this pandemic, uh, you all were already essential to us, but now you're going to so many people's homes all over the place. So thank you so much. Uh, good to see you. Please be safe. We just want to give you a shout out. Is there anything that you're experiencing right now that we can support? Uh, we don't want to jam you up <laughs> in any way, but uh, any any advice on how we can better support Instacart drivers and delivery workers? Um. Just tip a little bit better. That's all. No, I'm just playing. Just, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, let me say for you, no, we agree with you. Please do not assume that if you order your groceries on Instacart that they're going to get some big check. You have to add that onto the tip. And it doesn't always default to what they deserve. And uh, so my family and I, during this pandemic, uh, they're taking a real risk for us. And so we have tried to be as generous as we could ever be. So thank you so much. All right. So good to see you. Eric, uh, Eric Prince. How are you doing? Eric Price. How are you doing, man? Let me unmute you. Good to see you, Eric. Eric, tell us. Tell, yeah. Tell us uh, where you are and what you're doing, man. 
I'm in Los Angeles and I'm an immigration attorney. And since ICE doesn't sleep, neither do we. That's right, bro. That's <laughs> right, man. Tell me, tell me some of what you've been having to do here during the pandemic over these past few weeks. Well, the big deal is trying to get individuals out of detention. Uh, you know, they detain a lot of mostly Mexicans and Central Americans. They don't detain other immigrants generally, but mm. um, it's not, they don't detain them because they're criminals. They detain them because they want to deport them. That's right. And these detention centers are so dangerous for COVID and, and things like that. So we're working really hard to try to get as many people undetained as possible. That's right, Eric. I think all of the other essential workers here, we're all grateful for what you're doing. Keep doing your work on the front lines, brother. We just want you to know we appreciate you. Uh, hey, Val. Val, are you here? Let me see. Uh, Val, I'm going to unmute you. Uh, I don't know if... I can't see you. I only see a picture of you, Val, but I can't hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah. Hey, Val. Oh, there you are. Yeah, I see you. How are you, Val? Hi. Um, I'm good. Yeah, tell us. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you doing right now during this pandemic? So right now I'm in Miami, Florida, but I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a teacher and I'm a takeout worker. So I'm doing two things at the same time. Yeah, like so many, like so many teachers. I love teachers so much that I married a teacher. <laughs> and so, uh, like- um, yeah, we appreciate you, Val. Uh, tell us a little bit about the delivery work that you're doing right now. Um. So it gets pretty hectic because I'm in the seafood industry. So what we do is we, you know, we baggage the seafood, make sure it's fresh um, and up to standards. Um, What we're doing is, you know, we have a lot of takeout people. So we we obviously were abiding by the standards, the COVID standards and the six feet rule. But recently this past Sunday was Mother's Day and it was the worst day of my life. And um, I'm so sorry. It was so bad. Um, a lot of our restaurants had to shut down because our first ticket was a thousand dollars, and um, a lot of people that were coming in were getting very angry with me, not being able to give them their food or what they weren't understanding as workers is as essential workers is that we're following the guidelines as well. So as much as they would like their food to come out fast and fresh and hot and ready, we also have to follow the rules by the state, and we are only allowed to have like fifteen workers in the restaurant. Yeah workers with like food worth a thousand dollars you could just weigh out how how possible it is for and the manpower that we would need to you know execute all those orders so well Val we're grateful for you as a teacher uh all the work that you're doing on the front lines delivering food to support people we're so grateful for you Jocelyn I see you uh can you hear me Jocelyn I just unmuted you I could good afternoon Hey, there are yeah, there you are, Jocelyn. Uh, tell us where you are and, and what you're doing. We appreciate you. Hi. Um, this week I'm working from home. Um, I work one week on, one week off. I work at the County Board of Social Services, so that entails taking food stamp applications, um, cash assistance applications for single adults and needy families. And as of recently, we've gotten a huge influx of applications. Oh, I'm sure, you know, Jocelyn, I saw today that 3 million additional Americans just filed for unemployment, meaning Mm -hmm. that now nearly 40 million Americans are completely unemployed and are struggling and so far have only received one $1,200 check and some Mm -hmm. people haven't even received that. And so thank you for giving people the essential support they need. Uh, Please stay safe. We, We appreciate you. 
Ashley, I see you. Uh, can you hear me? Hey, Ashley. Hey, yeah. Sean. Uh, tell me where you are and what you're doing. We're grateful for your work. I'm in Jersey City. I'm a mom to two kids. Yes. One's in fourth grade, so the homeschooling's pretty intense. Oh, yeah, tell them, tell them I said hello. Sean says hello, boys. <laughs> hey, boys. Yeah, hey, boys. Good to see you. you know, I have five kids at home, and so they're all yeah. here. Yeah, so we, we, are, we are sympathetic. And uh, we're in Uber Eats, mostly. Postmates uh-huh. delivery team. <laughs> well, we appreciate you. Um, how many hours a day are you working right now, actually doing that work? It kind of varies. And it's, uh, the, the, the upside is that I'm able to coordinate it around Zoom calls for school. And uh, so uh, on average, six to seven. Well, we're grateful for you. And I, I know the work is hard. Please stay safe. Tell the boys that I'm proud of their mother for, for all that you're doing for all of us. All of us are grateful for what you're doing. Thank you so much, Ashley. Hey, Mahogany. Uh, hey, there you are. Yeah, Mahogany, it's good to see you. Uh, tell me pleasure. Where you, yeah, tell me where you are and what you're doing. Um, I'm in New York, and I'm a flight attendant. Yeah. And I'm actually off today, thankfully, so I'm catching up on sleep. Tell me what that's like. Where are you flying? And uh, you don't have to say your airline, of course, but um, are, you fl- are you still doing full flights? What's that like for you right now? So with the flights that I do, we do uh, regional. So we really have been hitting the hotspots of Vegas, California, and Washington. Mm. Uh, flights, as far as two months ago, were pretty much just empty, about 30, okay. and it holds about 150, 160. It's wow. starting to pick back up. And um, my company particularly, it's been doing a lot to protect us, um, affording us more PPEs and everything and trying to get their best to keep us up to date and protected. Well, we're glad to hear that, Mahogany, and we're, we're rooting for you. Thank you for continuing to do what we're do, you're doing. I'm glad you're still working and uh, still have the support from your airline. Do you want to give them a shout out since you said they're doing right by you? Oh, of course. Um, JetBlue all the way, you know. Oh, great. Of all. Yeah. yeah. Did you all hear yeah. that? She said JetBlue is doing right by their employees. They are. They're making sure. That's good to hear. And my family loves it. I didn't. This isn't an ad. I didn't know that in advance. <laughs> but uh, JetBlue is based in New York and my family loves them. And I'm glad to know they're doing right by you all. Hey, uh, KC, I see you, KC. How are you Hi. doing? Yeah, I'm tell me good. where you are. Yeah. I'm in New York. I'm a registered respiratory therapist and I'm working with Mount Sinai Hospital. What's, what has that meant for you over these past few months, Casey? What type of work are you doing as a respiratory therapist? Um, well, I've been doing it a very long time, but re- in recent yeah. events, it's just, it definitely shifted the thought process because we intubate patients. We put them on the, in- the ventilators. We do our ABGs. We extubate them. We try non-invasive ways of ventilation. And there's no there's no blueprint. So I can have two patients the same age and they can respond absolutely differently to the same modes of ventilation that we're trying. So it's just, it's some hardships. Yeah. Because there's shifts that we lose like a good seven to 10 patients. Mm. Okay. See everybody who's watching this, we are so, so grateful. If you all that are watching here inside the zoom, you could just wave at KC, nod your head, let her know how thankful you are. KC, we are so grateful 
that the world has people like you. We're grateful that you've been trained to do this work. Listen, I'm emotional, Casey. I'm an emotional man anyway, but I'm emotional just seeing you right now. And God bless you for being on the front lines. Listen, I, I want you to know from our team to you, we want to help you. Casey, I'm going to make sure that our team gets your information so that we can send you some love. I'm sure everybody who's watching this wants to give you some extra support. Um, I don't know if you're religious and forgive me if you're not, but I'm going to be praying for you as well, Casey. And uh, just for your strength and to be able to endure how hard all this is. And uh, Casey, I'm doing a eulogy later today and I've been doing eulogies for families all over the country. If there's ever any way that I can support any of the families that you're working with, or if our team can support them, as long as that's appropriate for you, uh, please reach out to me and we'll be sure to provide them whatever support we can, okay? I will do, thank you. Everybody give KC some waves and love. (laughs) KC, we support you so much. Thank you so much. I don't know if you see the people, KC, but- Yeah, and so we're going to make sure we get you the support you need, okay? Yeah, God bless you, and thank you so much for being on those front lines. Yeah. Hey, Karen. Karen, I see you. Karen, uh, yeah, I see you, Karen. Yeah, Karen, uh, where are you and what are you doing? I I don't know about you, but I was so moved to hear about KC's work. Uh, All of us are contributing in our own ways. Karen, tell me what you're doing right now. I'm in Illinois, and um, I work for a laboratory that does the antibody testing. Okay. And and how long have you been doing that? You were doing that work before the pandemic? Yes. Mm-hmm. For about three years. Well, we're, you know, we are in such an unsure space and laboratories like yours are so vital. You're in a place where to most of the public, you're invisible. They don't even know that this work is going on. Karen, we see you. We appreciate you. We're grateful that you're doing this work on the front lines. Good luck as you continue to do all of this testing. Clayton, I want to give you a shout out, man. How are you? Good to see you, bro. Where are you and what do you do? I'm out in San Diego. Uh, I'm a retail sales associate at Walmart. Basically, just keeping the store stock, keeping the customers happy, keeping the the world running. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Yeah. We appreciate you, Clayton. You know, uh, I I live about 20 miles from the nearest Walmart, and we've had to go there several times. And I'm so grateful for all of you who are keeping the store stocked and clean and safe. Um, are there any challenges that you're facing right now? Or are you particularly, I know each day has its own challenges, but tell me a little bit about it. Uh, just the giant crowds. Uh, there's still people that want to, you know, fear shop and hoard up supplies and mm. just driving up the cost. And the people, well, you know, people still not wearing masks, even though it's like it's mandatory in our County, but yeah. what can you do? Yeah. Well, brother, we're rooting for you. We're grateful for you. If everybody who's listening and watching, um, we just want you to know in Clayton's best interest and for all of our best interests, don't shop in fear, just get what you need. It puts too big of a strain on the stores and the workers when you get too much and get more than you need. So, Clayton, brother, we see you. We're thankful for you doing what you're doing. Everybody give Clayton a wave. We're grateful for what you're doing, bro. Hey, uh, Jonathan, how you doing, man? I see you, bro. Are you working right now? Hey, Sean. How's it going? Good, bro. currently driving right now, actually. 
Okay, don't you, you don't have to look at me, man. We we can see you. <laughs> yeah, so tell me what you're doing right now. Um, I'm uh, currently uh, I drive 18 wheelers across the country. I'm currently in New Albany, Mississippi. Uh, okay. I live in Florida, but I'm originally from New Jersey. Colombian parents, a little complicated loop. But yeah. Um, yeah, I just drive 18 wheelers over over the road. So I'm on the roads all day, every day. Probably in a neighborhood near you. Are you allowed to tell us what you're delivering right now? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah. Um, right now I'm actually going uh, out to Tupelo. I'm picking up a load that's going out to Columbus, Ohio. I think it's for a big lot. It's probably PPEs or something similar. I'm not too sure. I'll, I'll find out once I get there. But Ooh. I'll haul anything and everything. So. Yeah. Brother, we're grateful that you're on the road. Be safe out there. I hope you see all of these other essential workers, uh, Jonathan, who are, who are doing their work. We're grateful that you're on the road. I know you have to sometimes drive through the night, but all of us are super, super thankful, man. Hey, Andre, how you doing, man? Let me see if I can unmute you here. Hold on one second. One second, Andre, you're blocked on my screen here. There we go. Hey, Andre, how you doing, brother? Good to see you, man. I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you guys, too. Yeah, tell us where you are and tell us what you're doing. I work in Atlanta, Georgia, um, at a trauma hospital downtown. And I'm getting ready to go back to work as we speak now. Well, brother, we're we're grateful. You know, I lived in Atlanta for almost 20 years, and my babies were born in uh, the hospitals downtown. And so uh, I think I have an idea where you are. Oh, yeah. We're grateful. Can you tell us what you do at the hospital? I'm an anesthesia assistant. Um, and so I, I deal with level one traumas all day, all night. Yeah. Have you heard? from some of the essential workers here. I know you heard KC a minute ago, who's a respiratory therapist. Um, I hope you see, brother, that we value you, not just because you're an essential worker now, but you've always been essential. So we're grateful, Andre, for what you're doing. Thank have you. a good, yeah, have a good day today, brother. We, uh, we're going to have you on our mind and in our prayers. I know every day can be particularly difficult at that hospital anyway, but particularly yes, during the pandemic. Thank you so much. You guys take it easy. Yeah, we appreciate you, man. Thank you. Let me see. Let me see. I've gotten, let me make sure. Okay, I have somebody here, but I don't have your name. Okay, I just unmuted you. Uh, you can hear me? Yes. <laughs> oh, good, good, yeah. What's your My name? My name is Amy. My name is Amy. Hey, Amy, tell us where you are and what you're doing. Uh, I am in Connecticut, and I have four central jobs. Um, the first I work for, um, a neurosurgeon at a local hospital, um, as an administrative assistant. Good. The second I would work the counter at a local pizza restaurant one night a week. Uh, the third, <laughs> I teach a non-credit lecture course for a local community college for medical program students. And lastly, I have a very essential mom role to two gorgeous girls. Absolutely. Well, let's send your girls our love and support. We see you, Amy. You are working all over the place. <laughs> um, you know, my mother was an incredibly hardworking woman, and I learned so much of what I, I do today as far my, as my work ethic is concerned from her. I'm sorry that you got to be scrambling all over the place to make ends meet. So oh, no, I love it. This is organized chaos. I thrive off of this. <laughs> well, good. I, have a, well, I good. have a wonderful husband. We're a great team. Like, yeah. we thrive. But this, to me... I'm a really bright, outgoing person. So if I can walk into that pizza restaurant one night or if I can get into that live classroom with those students that night and I can tell a corny joke or get on the phone with a patient who is 
waiting to have back surgery, but can't have it because all non-essential surgeries have been canceled. And at least give them a smile and, and know that we're there and we're, that we care about them. We want to see what's best for them. You know, whether yeah. it be student, patient, customer, whoever they are, that we're right alongside with you, that we care about you, that we want you to see that we hope just as good things are coming in the future as you do. Yeah. So Amy. If I can give somebody a smile that to me, that makes my day completely. Yeah. Amy, that's beautiful. And, and uh, we're all encouraged by that. And I think everybody, all the essential workers who see this understand it and all the other people who are going to be tuning in. Doesn't matter what you're doing. There's always a way that we can brighten somebody's day. Amy, that's all I'm trying to do right now. Even talking to you and the others is just saying like, hey, I don't have something I can put in your hands necessarily, but I just want you to know that you're valued and loved and cherished. So Amy, all of us are grateful for what you're doing. Send your husband, send the babies I love. We appreciate you. Okay, Amy? Let's see. Hey, Sierra, um, how are you, Sierra? I just unmuted you. Good to see you. Good. It's good to see you too. Yeah. Where, where are you and what are you doing? I am from Adams County, Ohio. It's a really small um, county. And I work at Wilson's Children's Home. It's just our local children's home. There's only a few left in the state, actually. Yeah, I grew up in um, a town in Kentucky, and we had a United Methodist Children's Home there that was very vital. How many children, if you're allowed to say, how many children live at that home now? And can you talk about what your role is there? Yeah, so I'm a residential care worker, which basically means that um, I'm just like a mom to the kids. So oh. we spend all of our time with them. Right now, we have nine kids. Um, at the beginning of this, we had around 15. We were able to get some um, out with their family before all of this started. But right now, we have these kids. Um, and unfortunately, they're not able to do visits with their families. So they're limited to phone calls right now. Yeah, that's tough. Well, please. I'm going to have Lissandra from our team reach out to you. And if we're allowed, we'd love to send some special gifts to the kids. And so I'll have Lissandra reach back out to you. And uh, we'd love to send some things to the kids that could just brighten their day and let them know that we're watching. Okay. So I'll be sure to reach back out to you, Sierra, and our team will try to follow up. But thank you for what you're doing. Let the kids know that people from all over the country are, are rooting for them and believing in them. We'll try to reach out to you. Hey, Evangeline, how are you? Evangeline, you sorry to keep you waiting, Evangeline. You, you're one of our last people, last but not least, Evangeline. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, where are you and what, what are you up to? So um, well, my name is Evangeline. I am um, a train operator for New York City Transit. Um, yes. And basically, Yes, and so basically... Now I work the midnight tour, so my job during the pandemic is basically now that they shut the system down um, from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning is to transport essential workers to make sure that they're able to get to work while they basically sanitize um, the subway cars. Um, mm -hmm. So I didn't even know that was happening, Evangeline. I, so, mm -hmm. so during that shift from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., essential workers that still rely on the system still have some uh, some special access to the system. Right. They have access. They have um, special they have special access to the system. So they basically just wait for us by the conductor's position. We pick them up and we drop them wherever it is at whatever stop they're going to get off. 
Um, that's from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. And then you resume regular passenger service in the morning. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. everybody who's watching, and they, they may not know this, Evangeline, but you all have lost nearly 100 workers, from, including train operators and staff uh, who've, who've died from the coronavirus. And yeah. uh, we've, lost, we've lost actually 126 employees. Mm, breaks my um, heart. Not, breaks my that's heart. not including their their loved ones. So right. most of the time, if they're infected, so have their families. So we've yep. lost. We have co. I have coworkers that's lost um, their parents, um, sis, um, siblings. Um, mm. We have. We've experienced KC, a lot. Of- KC is watching. KC, who's a respiratory therapist. KC has. She sees these these staff members of yours. These are the very people that KC is working with in the city as a respiratory therapist. Yeah, so we've lost a lot of people. Currently, we're focusing on um, ensuring that um, the New York City Transit Authority continues to give us PPE on demand, not just one mask a week. So far, mm-hmm. they posted a bulletin that we're to get two masks a week but um, from my experience, whenever I ask, I'm never denied um, PPE. That's not to say that other people are not. Um, right. But they are, um, we're focusing on PPE, uh, making sure the system is sanitized. Um, our workers did a lot of outreach to our elected officials who basically put out a recommendation for the subways to be closed um, for cleaning mm-hmm. because of the homeless condition and New York City is is out of control and that it was time now that this was the perfect time for the city to step up um, and do what was right by the mentally ill and homeless population um, so that they wouldn't be subject to coronavirus. Because what we were finding was that they were very lethargic, just laying around. Um, Mm. That means that they're sick because we, we interact with them on a daily basis and they're usually not quiet. Um, so the fact that they were just laying around, um, quiet, you they know, were struggling. they were struggling, right. yeah, sick so and struggling. Yeah. The fact that they were able to get them out of the subway, um, some of them are now in hotel rooms and hospitals. Um, they've turned some of our buses into um, shelter for them um, during the nighttime because it's still pretty cold in New York. So yeah. um, we have a lot going on, but we're we're getting through it. Evangeline, I want you to hear from me. I value you and your coworkers so much. Myself, my wife, and all five of our children rely on the trains every single day and have for years on end. And so just know that we're grateful. We're thankful. Uh, I don't think the rest of the world fully understands mm-hmm. just the toll that this has taken on our city and our workers. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's hard because. Normally, when there's a disaster, you see video and images every single day. It's been hard for people to fully wrap their minds around just the real human cost and toll here. So, Evangeline, we're we're grateful for you. All of us are thankful for what you're doing, even to transport those essential workers all over the place. Uh, you have a way to contact me, Evangeline, if I can ever... Hold on, let me make sure you're unmuted, Evangeline. Uh, Evangeline, if there's ever anything that we can do to weigh in. Like if you ever need me to, to speak up for you or other workers, please let me know. Okay. Yes. yes. Cool. I'll keep you informed. Absolutely. We got your back. 
Now, listen, I want to make sure that I'm not le- leaving anybody out. April? April? Have we have we talked April? No. no. Oh, there we are. <laughs> there I want to make sure. I was like, no, I don't think I've talked to April. April, tell us where you are and what you're up to. Uh, I'm a licensed psychologist in Durham, North Carolina, and I provide therapy and mental health services to children, adults, families. Um, you know, most of these individuals were struggling with depression, anxiety, trauma, sure. um, developmental disabilities before this pandemic, and now they're really struggling afterwards and trying Not to provide having... them with support via yeah. telehealth. Yeah. It's tough because so many people, including children and others, they no longer have the routines that that they're used to. They no longer have kind of the support systems and staff that they need. Are you doing a lot of this online? Are you providing the support online? Right now I'm doing a, a combination. So some clients just can't manage, you know, Zoom or doing this via telehealth or it's so critical they need to come in office. Okay. Um, and then some we're really trying to figure out how we can accommodate them just via telehealth. Well, we're grateful. And, and all of you, it's just a quick message. You know, we are in National Mental Health Awareness Month. All of us uh, need guidance in life. And doubly so during this pandemic. Um, I just want you to know that there's no stigma related to ever seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Everybody who's watching this, not just the essential workers, hear it from me. Our family leans on that. Every part of your body needs help. And your brain is just another part of your body. And life is so difficult. We could take this pandemic away and life was already hard. You had a pandemic right in the middle of it. And we're all struggling through so many things. And so, April, thank you for helping people and families through their struggles and and just through life. We're grateful for you. Now, I want to make sure that I haven't left, if I have left you out, I want to make sure I see everybody, wave it. There you are, Dana. Okay. <laughs> Dana, okay, all right. See, I see I see everybody on here. And what happened, Dana, at first, everybody was in one order, but everybody's order kept changing. And oh. so I wasn't able to see everybody. And oh, okay, I see one more person too that I haven't been able to call on. Good, good to see you, Dana. Tell us where you are and uh, and what you're doing. I'm currently in Phoenix, Arizona. I am a registered nurse working under the specialties of progressive care and cardiac care. Thank you, Dana. Uh, How has that affected you during the pandemic and how have things changed for you during the pandemic? Um, Arizona hasn't been hit really, really bad, but I did get uh, deployed to Detroit for three weeks and that was pretty rough. Yeah, Michigan and Detroit in particular is one of the hardest hit areas in the world. Uh, What we see is cities like Detroit, of course, New York, but New Orleans. Uh, Do you want to say anything about your time there in Detroit and how that went? Um, I'm originally from there, so that's why I went back to, you know, help out. But um, it was really rough. Um, The hardest part is not allowing families to come see their family members. Um, I just want to say that we understand that you guys want to know what's going on, but just keep calling us because coming to see them was not an option at this time. But we understand you guys are anxious and really want to know what's going on with your family members. But yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're thankful, Dana, for you serving on the front lines. We're grateful for the time that you spent back home in Detroit. We're rooting for you there in Arizona. I see, let me see. 
Uh, I am going to unmute you, but I don't see your name. There you go. Can you hear me? John, it's Amy. You just talked to me a little bit ago. Amy. My oh, location Amy. in the background oh. just changed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Amy I had is to come back one... to my desk. <laughs> oh, okay, so you've moved. I said, hold on, I don't know this woman. And, and, and I do know <laughs> you just moved locations. Well, listen, oh, thank you again, Amy. Everybody who's here, just take a quick wave. If I haven't seen you, I want to make sure that I have called on all of you. I think I got you. Um, listen, before we go, and I want to let you get back to your day and, and your work, uh, I just want you to hear from me. We love you. We appreciate each of you for what you're doing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see the mosaic of people and backgrounds and work. It takes all of us to make this country tick from truck drivers to delivery workers to respiratory therapists and psychologists and nurses and grocery store workers. All of you are so vital. And we just want to take some time out to thank you. Uh, I'm glad we got to connect in this way. And I hope you heard me say it. If any of you ever need anything from me, if I can support you or support somebody that you're fighting for, just let me know. Uh, when we play this, uh, so many people are going to be able to see it and give you the love. So we're grateful to each of you. Hope you all have a great day. And if you ever need anything, just let me know. All right. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Take care. Bye now. Break it down. Break it down. Well, thank all of you so much for staying around. That was that was one of my favorite interviews of all time to be able to talk and engage uh, so many essential workers. So thank all of you. Uh, so many of those stories uh, even had me emotional, particularly. KC, who's the respiratory therapist. Uh, but I'm so glad that all of you stuck around. I, I was just deeply moved to be able to connect with them on a human level. And I know they have family and friends who tell them they appreciate them, but I just thought it was important uh, for us to be able to tell their stories. Listen, before we go, I have one action step that I want to give you. I want to take some time to take some questions and I want to encourage all of you. I don't know how many of you here are not members of our Patreon, but if you go to patreon.com slash the breakdown, patreon.com slash the breakdown. I think I got that right. Uh, you can support this, uh, this show. We are fully and completely funded by the generous support of all of you who support us on Patreon. That allows us to cover whatever we want to cover, however we want to cover it. But first, let me give us our action steps for today. If you have not, and this is very important to me, if you have not already called, and even if you have already called, I want you to lock this number in. We'll put it in the comments as well. 502-735-1784. It's important. 
Yes, we want you to go to standwithbree.com, standwithbree.com, and fill that out. The petition is powerful because it emails, and we change who it emails every day. We have a team of almost 15 people who manage all of these campaigns behind the scenes. But when you go to standwithbree.com and fill out the petition, it then emails all of the important power players in that case. But what we really need you to do is to lock that number in and call today because the calls don't do so much over the weekend. Um, You can still call over the weekend and leave a message, but we have about five hours left today where these calls are going to really matter. So lock that number in your phone. That number's going to to stay the same, 502-735-1784. And if you've never called, if you don't mind, tell me here in the chat if you've never called We've built this tool. We've done it once for Rodney Reed. Uh, we uh, also did these calls for Ahmad Aubrey, and we're doing them now still for Ahmad, but now for Brianna. If you've never called, when you first call that number, don't be nervous. It'll be me there, and I will break down the case and tell you exactly what you have to say, and then I'll connect you each office one by one by one and that call tool we've already learned had so much to do with why we were able to stop the execution of Rodney Reed which we helped to stop that call tool had so much to do we made over 25,000 calls to the Georgia Bureau of Investigations which eventually stepped up and arrested Gregory and Travis McMichael. Now, that's not an arrest is not justice, but our calls had so much to do with that. We need you now to call for Brianna. So call that number, lock it in your phone. You could even save uh, save the number uh, as stand with Bree or the number for Brianna. Save it in your phone. You can call back anytime. I still get nervous when I make the calls. And so it's okay if you're nervous. It's okay to rehearse it. It's okay if you have to hang up and call back later and and get up your courage to do it. I just need you to know that those calls make a difference. And so if you've never called, thank you somebody who just said they hadn't called. Thank you for saying it. Many of you, I see you saying you have called. Here I am. I talk for a living and I still get nervous when I make it. But what I know is that those calls make a real difference. And um, I see somebody saying, how can you call from overseas? It would be like a typical international call. You could use uh, WhatsApp or Signal. Uh, yeah, that's right. Somebody just said it. You could use WhatsApp or Signal. Um, when you call, be respectful, but understand that you are having an opportunity to get through to an everyday person. And in Louisville in particular, They've never felt this type of national and international pressure. And so I'm going to take some of your questions. If you have questions about the call, if you have questions about Brianna's case, uh, and then we have a special post show for our patrons on Patreon. We've already, I believe, emailed you all that link. And so if you are a patron on Patreon, uh, stand by. We have a special post show Q&A just for you. But if anybody has any questions right now, I'd love to take them as well. All right, let's take some questions. Yeah, let's see. Good, 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 good. 
Uh-huh. Besides donations, uh, somebody asked, besides donations, how can you help Kenny? Um, uh, right now, we're also putting on the screen all the Patreon partners uh, who are supporting us. So thank all of you for your support. Um, if you call the numbers, you can also demand that they uh, release Kenny as well. And, I mean, drop the charges on Monday. We are adding some new numbers and names just for Kenny that we have not added yet. And so stay tuned for those new names and new numbers. Yeah, thank all of our Patreon partners for their support. Uh, We're so grateful for each of them. It says, do they even have any evidence that Kenny fired his gun that night? We actually don't know. And I spoke to attorneys. Let me get it. Let me move my face out of the way here. I spoke to attorneys yesterday at great length about the case. And first and foremost, you may have seen what I posted on Instagram. We we no longer believe if Kenny fired a bullet, it didn't hit anybody. And we actually aren't 100 percent sure uh, whether or not Kenny fired a shot. And so uh, even if he did, we don't believe it hit the officers. OK, so that's you know, they, they just want to put that off on Kenny. But as you saw in the images earlier, um, they were firing their bullets everywhere. We also want to give a big shout out to all of the warriors on Patreon who are giving. And we, we are so super grateful for each of you. If you have not already been to patreon.com slash the breakdown, you can chip in and support many of you. I know because I see your names. I remember you from last week. Many of you are patrons on, on Patreon and we're super, super grateful for all that you've done. Yeah, we see you. Uh, if you wanted, somebody says, if you wanted to donate to Kenny's GoFundMe, yeah, yeah, you could just go, uh, if you go to my Instagram and click on the link, you'll see it there. Uh, somebody asked, has anyone reached out to the NRA for their support? That's actually a great question. Me and, and several of us have reached out to the NRA many times. They have no interest in supporting Kenny uh, or any of the people that we work with and, and families that we work with. I have reached out to them directly across the years on so many cases. They have no interest on supporting victims of police brutality or victims of white supremacy, even if a gun issue is right at the middle of that case. Somebody asked, is Lee Merritt an attorney on the Breonna Taylor case? Lee is not an official attorney on the Breonna Taylor case, but through the Grassroots Law Project, he is helping out. He is really the lead attorney on the Ahmaud Aubrey case. And, uh, and he is friends with the attorneys in Brianna's case, but is a lead attorney there. Also want to give a shout out to all of the producers, uh, John, Sharon, Alexander, Alexander, DJ Cassidy, um, uh, S. Carlin, and Sarah, all the producers who chip in and support uh the Breakdown Live. Thank you so much for your support and for your generosity. We literally could not do this show without you all. We want to give a big shout out, of course, to Keaton, who is an executive backer of us on Patreon. Huge shout out to Keaton. Keaton, I think we're talking next week, man. So thank you so much for your support. And last but not least, super shout out to Brad, Jay, for his support on Patreon. We literally could not do what we do uh, without your support, Brad. For all of you who don't understand this, oh cool. Oh, that's my first. <laughs> that's my first time seeing that. Yeah, that was cool. Um, for all of you who 
are um, new to Patreon or even new here, uh, most news shows are funded by commercials, are funded by ads. They're sometimes funded by stockholders. And we are fully funded by the generous support of all of our patrons. We could not do it without you. So we're so gracious. We're thankful to all of you who have subscribed right here on Twitch as well. In just a second, we are going to go over to YouTube and we have a special uh, Q&A for all of our uh, patrons at those levels, a special private Q&A. We'll shoot you the link. We're grateful. Thank all of you. I hope you learned some about the case. Um, We're going to continue fighting for justice for Brianna. Let me close with this. There is no justice in this country that we don't fight for. Any justice that we get, any arrest that's made, any charges that are filed, those charges are filed, those arrests are made because we fight for them, because we squeeze this system and make it do that. Something that I have to tell people and instruct people all the time is that this system is actually not broken. It's not broken at all. And it's important to to say this distinction out loud, and I talk about it in my book, I understand why people think it's broken because it is horrible, but it's not broken. It's actually functioning exactly the way those who designed and built it intended it to function. And that's a big distinction. And what we know is because it was built to oppress and brutalize certain groups of people, anytime those groups of people want justice from this system, you have to wrestle it and fight it and wrangle it and make hundreds of thousands of phone calls. And we sent for Ahmaud Aubrey tens of millions of emails. I mean, in the most emails we've ever sent in a case, it took tens of millions of emails, hundreds of thousands of phone calls, just to get two men who were filmed murdering a man to get those men arrested. And that's not a conviction. I say that to say we have to fight for any justice, for any change that we get, these systems and structures that we live in were not meant to to be kind. They were not meant to provide for us, and they certainly weren't meant to give us justice. So let's keep on fighting. I'll see you all over at the YouTube Q&A. Thank you all so much for your support. We'll be back. And remember, when we cross 3,000 patrons, right now we're going live once a week. When we finally cross 3,000 patrons on Patreon, we'll go live twice a week and continue to grow the show. Thank you all so much. Take care, everybody. I'll see you in just a few minutes over at YouTube. Break it Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more.